Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. I'm your host, Ted Harrington, and with me today, Ben, my very special co-host. Ben, what's up, man? Hey, Ted. How's it going? It's good. I'm excited about who we've got here joining us as our special guest today. Ethan Dietrich is the CEO and founder of SixGen. Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So there's a lot of things that you guys talked about already before we hit record about what we might cover today. But that one thing in particular jumped out at me, and I want to start here. And it's this idea that you embody in so many ways, Ethan, to think like a bad guy. So can you give a little color and context around this idea, what it means to you? And we'll get into some of the principles of thinking like a bad guy. Sure. So thinking like a bad guy really has to do with kind of the, the heartbeat of what Sixgen is doing. We're an offensive cyber company. You know, offense is kind of a bad word or a taboo word in a lot of a lot of circles. I think one time I said it on LinkedIn and, and I got harassed for it. But the root of it really is, what are the bad guys doing? And, and do we truly understand how they're thinking, why they're thinking the way they're thinking? And can we begin to replicate that either through emulation or simulation? And I spent 10 years working on counterterrorism operations. And if we didn't think like the bad guy, we couldn't find them. So I built a company around figuring out what their techniques, their, their procedures are, and trying to, trying to copy that, trying to emulate that. And, and not just emulate it, but do better. What is the next generation? What's the next thing they're going to do? And there's all kinds of different shapes and sizes of bad guys. And, and you got to figure out where you're going to spend your resources and your time and who are the most dangerous and lethal. Yeah. Well, you mentioned to me that you you like to quote unquote play in their world. Let's say you were you had a day, or for the average person who maybe doesn't know anything about this, and you had to play in their world for a day. What what kind of activities might you do? What what kind of things do you look out for? Yeah, that's a great question. So, a lot of folks that quote do cyber, or just if you're looking at a lot of the spending for cyber, is focused on defensive cyber. That really is a lot of sensors, a lot of data, CM systems. You know. MDR, XDR, EDR, and those are analysts that are in receive mode. And what they're doing is they're, they're getting data and they're trying to analyze it and figure out what the bad guys are doing. What we try to do is thinking like a bad guy or acting like a bad guy is we try to re- replicate their, their techniques. So the first thing we, we might do is go out and acquire cryptocurrency. We could do that through uh, mining cryptocurrency, do that through just exchanging, blending, mixing, but that gives us a basis of how we're going to live off the land. And that's really what getting kind of an adversarial arsenal put together starts with. How, how are you going to pay for it and how are you going to expend those resources? So you got to get the cryptocurrency or you got to get some kind of other resources and assets out there into the world. The beauty of operating like a bad guy is that you really get to you really don't have any handcuffs. So when, you know, unfortunately, law enforcement, especially in the U.S., has a lot of handcuffs. They have a lot of things they have to abide by. And being able to go out into the adversary space and uh, really butt up against their resources, their systems, and see what they're doing in their forums, buying their malware. Those are the kinds of activities where it gives us insight to what they're thinking about. 
some of the forms will give you the ability to take a look at just what they're paying for things. And just by seeing what they're willing to pay for something or what they're advertising for something gives us an idea of what, how they're thinking about it. And from there, we, we call it living off the land. So it's the ability to go out and, and expend those resources, the time and the research and buy what we need to buy and start putting that together. Oftentimes it comes in a POC or it just comes in a, as an idea of, hey, there's, there's something that does something. And I have a team of vulnerability researchers here and I have a tool shop as well. And what we do is when we hear about something, we say, hey, can we, can we do that? Does it work? Let's try it. And, and then we bring it back to the shop and we start playing with it. You've introduced the idea of the financial resources that a bad guy might need. And we're talking about cryptocurrency. Maybe for people who don't fully understand how an attacker might protect their anonymity in this, maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Because I think people listening to the show, are probably most of them are familiar with or maybe even themselves own cryptocurrency. But many probably buy it through an exchange, which is not anonymous. You have to prove who you are in order to be able to buy it. But criminal elements certainly are able to use cryptocurrency in an anonymous way. Can you talk about that? How would a criminal do that? How does that work? Sure. So yeah, if you go to a a kind of a typical exchange, it's going to be, there's going to be some binding to your identity. It can either be through an email address, phone number, or multiple other methods. A lot of the, I just use the generic term bad guys like to do it. And the way that we typically do it is, is we have to go out there and you have to use a VPN or multiple VPNs um, to disguise your origin of your IP, origin of your system. Then we'll typically rent a VPS private server out in, in space somewhere. We have to be very careful about cross-jurisdictional legal authorities. So you want to have a VPN in one country that has a certain legal authority, and then you have a VPS in another country that has a different legal authority, especially two countries that, that don't like each other. It works really well, too, because they don't share data then. And then that gives you kind of the basis for which you're then going to establish your virtual identity. And we'll use that VPS uh, to, to host whatever services we're going to host from there. Uh, whether that's uh, an email address or that's a you know a server with data on it, um, but establishing that that um, presence out there in in cyberspace, uh, and 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 using the same techniques, the same hardening integrity integrity checks that um, our adversaries would use against us. So that's probably the first step. That is super cool. I'm kind of curious, you know, when we talked before, you you mentioned like you sort of liked being on the edge of the fight and stuff. I get the sense that. As you're doing this, that it's more than just you doing these things because of uh, obligation. I mean, it seems to me like you kind of like it. You kind of enjoy the idea of of performing this offensive security. So I guess my my question is, how does it feel to take all these techniques that that the quote unquote bad guys are using and deploy it for yourself? I mean, does it is it like a challenge for you? Is it something that you find just redeeming? Like, how does that feel? I think that it came, this grew out of irritation. (laughs) It sounds kind of vindictive, but if you look at the asymmetry of the fight that we're in, the cyber war that we're in, the the bad guys spend a dollar, we spend a thousand dollars to defend that. And, and, and you have to think differently. You truly do. I mean, it's not just a buzzword. You, You have to find a way to level the playing field. And, and that's what I've done my entire career. I mean, I, I, I went in the army at 17. I'm not college educated. I'm lucky that I'm not working a full-time job at Subway and I'm getting to do something that I really love to do. And so that's what drives me and, and, and seeing a lot of these young junior, you know, hackers come into the shop here and they have no idea this world exists. 
and you hire them because they got a good cert or they were you know smart in college or they were good in the Air Force and you pick them up and then you say, all right, here, we're going to go and spend a couple thousand bucks today on buying you know covert infrastructure. And then we're going to go and see if we can't buy some malware with it. And then we're going to reverse engineer that. And then we're going to throw that in another tool that we have. They're just like, I can't believe, I can't believe I'm doing this, right? So you get to see a lot of happiness on their faces and facilitating the activity. And, and then the best part about it is at the end of the day, you get to say, have I changed that that fight? Have I ever have I actually performed an asymmetric, you know, kind of activity that's leveling the playing field between us and, and the guys that we have to defend against? So I love part of the detail that's in your answer there, which is about this idea that as people are entering this particular workforce, they're they're happy and surprised to find out that they get to do this. We have that same experience with a lot of our people. They're like, I get paid to do this? And like, I don't go to jail? Like, this is amazing. A lot of people don't even know this profession exists. So you mentioned that one of what you have to do is you have to find a way to level the playing field, at least in some small way. Can you give an example or tell a story about how that has happened? Yeah, I mean, look at Tom Tom Brady and the Patriots for oh, however many years, right? He had to, he had to say Tom Brady. <laughs> My guy, you're you're top of the list of favorite guests right now. <laughs> I mean, you know, the best defense is a good offense, I guess. Yeah, the folks we're up against some of the, some of these hackers truly are trying to feed their families. I, I I do believe that. I believe that they are they're stealing money, they're stealing intellectual property, they're stealing credit card numbers because it, it, it's what they know how to do. It's the resource they have in whatever small town they happen to be in. And their government looks the other way for them to do this. And, and it is a way for them to make money. And the way to fix that is a much bigger problem that we won't, we won't be able to fix you know, in our lifetime. But the opportunity to be able to, to use those skills in a positive manner. And so I, I'll say like, I would like to, to think that we are a fair broker as well. So we will reach out to hackers often, especially if they have really good software or good tools, and we'll try to buy it from them. And we and we do not hide who we are sometimes. We'll just say, hey, we're Sixgen and we want to come buy this. And they may be in a different country, and they could just as easily be doing bad things as they are, as they are doing good things. But if we can kind of hook them and say, hey, we're doing this for the right reasons. We want to pay you a fair salary. We want to pay you a fair wage for your tool. And we want to you know, bring you over to our side and use, use you as a resource in order to, to fight these guys. They're more than happy to do that. I mean, I've never had anybody say, no, I'm just going to continue to attack the United States and, and U.S. companies, right? They just don't say that. You got to be careful who you're talking to. But I think everybody wants the opportunity to get paid and recognized for what they're doing. And, and given the opportunity, they'll choose the right thing. Yeah, I mean, you have to set up the right incentives for people. I mean, people, if, if people only have incentives to do the wrong thing, they're probably going to do the wrong thing, especially if you're in a desperate situation. I'm curious. So you mentioned like this is a real asymmetric war, right? That if you want to be an enterprising bad guy, all you have to do is probably buy a few tools, do a little studying up and you can start causing damage. And I guess my question is, how should decision makers sort of approach the idea of like latent threats sitting on networks and things like that? I, I know there's misconceptions that uh, many people have that somehow they're not a target or maybe they're or that we've put up all this stuff. There's no I, there's no way someone's in my network. What would you say to someone like that? Well, you know, I think when you are applying what we do to your security system, your defense in depth, or, or, or to your security posture, your plan, um, you have to be a pretty sophisticated customer. We, we don't typically work with customers that are, are, are denying the fact that they're, gonna, they're, they're not going to get hacked, right? If they bring us in, it's because we, we are trying to emulate a low and slow. 
because they have been attacked before and they have lost a lot of data or or they think they might have. So we, we if, if a customer tells me there's no way we've been hacked, we don't typically continue to engage with them because they really need to get past the scan phase and the like the kind of short-term penetration testing and the compliance checks before they want to make it a, you know, a more serious effort. So I guess that's one piece. I think the other thing is that it's rare that we we don't get in. It does happen. And when it has happened, it's typically really well-implemented orchestration systems that are able to automate the changing of encryption and keys on a regular basis, which puts the kind of the computations for hash cracking and password cracking kind of out of our reach. And so there's certain tools that just cost more. And I really like customers that think this way that they go, I'm going to spend X amount of dollars because I'm going to make it so complicated. It's, it's, I'm just going to outspend the, the bad guy. And, and yeah, maybe I'll get hacked, but I know the ways that I'm going to get hacked and they have to have a really sophisticated system to do that. And those are the customers we enjoy talking to because they do want to know more. They do want to improve their networks. They want to improve their, every, every facet of their security program. You're touching on a mindset that Well, I won't, let me not bias this question. Let me ask the question and then what would you say is the mindset of companies who are getting their security programs right in terms of, there's no way I can ask this question without bias. So I'm just going to ask the biased way. I posit that the companies who get security right, their ethos is all about improvement and getting better. And they know that nothing is ever quote unquote unhackable, but the goal is, can I be better tomorrow than I am today? Would you say that that belief that I just presented is true or false or should be modified in some way? I think it's true, but I want to say it a different way. I think the companies that I, the companies and, and, the, and the government agencies that were, I think the highest are the ones that bring their security apparatus in-house. And, and what I mean by that is like, if you're a, a global 2000 CTO or, or CISO, you have all these different cyber companies just throwing all kinds of marketing stuff at you. I mean, just I can't even imagine having to, to be in that position and sort through all of the data slick sheets and everything that piecemeal together. So what you're seeing is some of these smarter companies are in-housing their advanced cyber teams. You saw that with Mandiant. You're starting to see with the AWS Red Team. Unfortunately, I think they put the pause on the on the Alexandria facility. But you're starting to see that with the more sophisticated customers are in-housing their team. And what they're doing is they're they're only outsourcing pieces like when we build tools for them. We'll build them a specific tool for a specific database system that they have that they don't have the time or the resources or the talent to build. And therefore, we're only doing kind of value added. We're enhancing their, their sophisticated security program. So I, I really like customers that say, look, I already have a red team. I already have five red teams and they can do all of these things and I know what they can't do. And so I need your help doing the, these few things. And that also does something else. It brings the culture of that security conscious mind inside of the business as opposed to paying for it on the outside. And companies, especially a lot of VC-backed companies, they have to make money on the job. So they're not going to stick around and try and change your security culture. They're going to do the job, get the paycheck and get out of there and then hit you back up in a year and try and do another job for you. But they're not changing the mindset of how your IT managers, especially your low-level IT managers, are managing their day-to-day networks. And so I like the idea when, when we see, uh, you know, we're walking into a red team. You know, it's a little intimidating at times because there's some really good red teams out there. But, but it's, it's just it's night and day difference in security programs. Wow, that's fascinating. One thing that I think we talked about briefly was the idea that people tend to put money into cybersecurity products as opposed to the services side. I guess a couple a couple of questions, you know, why do people do this? 
And why shouldn't they do this? I, I think everybody's hope is, and, and, I, and I think there's clear evidence of this, is that the products can come in and change the entire landscape. I mean, a great security product can be disruptive and it can change how you do business. But these companies are gigantic aircraft carriers. They can't change course. So even if a security technology is disruptive, the implementation time and the integration time and the impact assessments and analysis that needs to be done, it still takes a long time and you need great people to do that. And so it is a little unfortunate that the vast majority of investment is into strictly cyber products. And I don't blame investors for doing that because that's where that hockey stick return comes from. It doesn't come in services, but services and the talent are who implement all of those things. And so just neglecting the, the people putting their fingers on the keyboards, implementing those products, I think is a little undervalued just across the market. So what I'm hearing you say is that it's that's undervalued. That's That's fascinating. What would be the better way for us to value those skills and types of people? Incentivizing professional development plans inside of companies. It's really tough even right now with all the certifications to find good folks. I know that our hiring process requires you to have an OSCP or a GX pen just to get an interview at 6Gen. And, and we hate to say that this certification or this or that is the mark on the wall, but you got to put that mark somewhere. So companies that we've seen that have really good PDPs for their cyber team and that are using outside consultants to grow those cyber teams and really identify weaknesses has, has been brilliant. There's a couple agencies out there that use, there's, there's a few, I won't mention any of them, but there's a few different cyber assessment tools that will actually allow you to identify weaknesses within job roles. So it'll it'll go all the way down to, hey, you're not good with iOS or you, you for this job, you require more assembly. You don't have enough assembly. And you identify those weaknesses and you and you just are hyper specific and target those weaknesses. And, and I think you have to have an in-house full-time cyber folks. I've seen a company that um, had 160,000 employees, I believe, and they had one full-time cybersecurity engineer. And they were in, you know, three different continents and, and the guy was just struggling and he, he was doing his best, but that's a company that doesn't value cyber. Yeah. Well, I mean, we talked about a lot of scary stuff, like there's not enough talent that's asymmetric, that they don't require a lot of resources. Uh, you know, we haven't even gotten to the idea that things are more integrated now than they were before. Technology is expanding. There's more IOT devices, all, all this stuff. I guess my question for you is somebody who's sort of embedded with the bad guys, so to speak, in, in a good way. <laughs> Where do you see the future for like managing all these cybersecurity risks over maybe like even the what some might consider the short term five years or so, you know, as we continue, it's not like we're moving backwards on technology, but we have to keep doing this while dealing with these threats that also aren't going away. What do you think the future is? A big question. Well, I, I think, you know, two weeks ago, I got to see a team hack an entire Windows environment with ChatGPT, and uh, it made one mistake, and they fixed it. And seven minutes later, they had access, and it was impressive. And, and these were graduate students. So they, they weren't even full-time hackers. I, I think AI is definitely going to change the game. I think it's how we implement it. Uh, right now, there's a huge delineation between blue team and SOC and NOC and red team, CM managers, alert response, incident response. There's these like strange divisions and that needs to be a much more fluid organization process and methodology wise, but also there's just not the automated tools to do that either. And what I would like to see is where you use specialists to design hyper-specific testing apparatus 
and parameters against complex infrastructure, like for example, zero trust network. And then that's layered into a much broader framework that is applied across an entire agency or an entire company so that you can get the talent and you can put it where it needs to be, it needs to go and they can implement it through a series of different tools, whether that's AI or whether that's through machine learning or whether that's just through you know sophisticated scripting. There's a bunch of different ways to do it, but there's not frameworks to drop these things in because these products are proprietary. So they don't they don't work together across identity, security, authentication, just just those things right there. There's like five different products that have bits and pieces. So if we drop in an algorithm or some kind of offensively focused testing, I won't call it penetration testing, but you know, for lack of a better term, we have to we have to poke holes at five different proprietary products with different code bases and and and, and those are just it creates an entropic value of of vulnerability that you can't you can't fix. So I think the market is right and it's starting to adjust where they're saying we want to see more consolidation of cybersecurity companies, cybersecurity products, cybersecurity tools, but it's got to go way farther than that to where there's like overarching frameworks that will work. Well, Ethan, this has been really enlightening hearing you talk about this. Uh, As our conversation comes to a close, is there anything you want to leave our audience with? You know, I I appreciate you having me. You know, Six Gen is a wonderful company, and uh, I think that we're doing a lot of great things. But there's always more that we can learn, and I'm happy to engage with anybody over that. Awesome, Ethan. Thank you for being on the show. It's it's been really great. Thank you, gents. Take care, Ethan. All right. So Ben, Ethan's a pretty interesting guy. I mean, it's like <laughs> yeah, we share so many values and viewpoints on the world about the role of hackers and the good kind and the bad kind. What was your takeaway on that? It's very easy to get really scared about everything. I mean, I think when you're thinking about security, I think it's kind of best to have a very humble approach where you sort of accept sort of like if you go to a doctor, you can't if you go to a doctor, you can't assume that everything is perfect or you can't assume that you're immortal, that you're invincible, that nothing can stop you. You sort of have to take the same approach that, well, I am vulnerable that and in this case, unlike unlike maybe a, a medical disease or something, there's actually a conscious being that is trying to, to infiltrate and, and take something out. And I have to accept the fact that if they try to do everything within their power with all the resources imaginable, that they can probably do some bad stuff. And the real question is, what can I do with my limited resources to make me an unappealing target? Because you're not going to be able to fight off every threat. You're not going to be able to stop everything. But if you have a good discipline in place, you're going to make it extraordinarily hard for these people who who mean to do ill to you to actually get in and, and cause trouble. I think that metaphor is a really great one. Talking about wellness as a metaphor for security, you were drawing the distinction that it's like, you know, hackers, the bad kind are, how'd you say it, a sentient being? Or did I just... Well, they actually, unlike a virus or bacteria, a hacker kind of has a sense of what they're attacking. They're, they're more than a single-celled organism, I suppose. But a bacteria or a virus, their entire purpose in existing is to consume from the host, which is the human body, and include up to and including the death of that human body. And so it's all of the things that we do as humans to keep ourselves safe to like prevent sickness and then when we are sick the things that our body does in order to respond to that attack if you will and i think that's a really fascinating parallel and people who take less good care of themselves people who maybe eat too much sugar don't exercise stuff like that they're much much more susceptible to illness than people who spend a lot of time considering what they eat what they put in their body the way they 
you know, treat their body with drugs or alcohol, the way they exercise, so on and so forth. And when there's something wrong with their body, they don't just say, you know what, <laughs> I've been sick to my stomach. I have a terrible fever. I'm coughing all over the place. But you know what? I'm not going to have anybody check on it. It's probably fine. I think I'm really nice and healthy. It's cool. They actually go out and they seek this, they speak to a third party. They speak to an expert and they have them take a look and they them come up with an opinion on how to make things better and how to improve things because oftentimes the individual can't do that themselves. The entity needs an outside force to sort of point them in the right direction. Yeah, I, I love this part of the metaphor too. And Like you'd never go to your doctor and be like, I don't feel good. And they say, tell me your symptoms. And you're like, no, 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 you tell me. <laughs> but that's like what black box security testing is, right? It's like, no, I'm not gonna give you any information. You figure it out. And it's like, I'm here to help you. What are you talking about? Yeah, I'm gonna stand behind this time. curtain and you're gonna take some guesses based on yeah. subtle hints. It's gonna be like a game show. <laughs> <laughs> but people people believe that all, all the time about why black box is maybe a better method because it's like, oh, the attacker doesn't have that information. So don't give it to your security tester. But what? <laughs> you have that information. Information's an advantage. You got to capitalize on it. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, is you could have your testers invest the time in trying to figure all this stuff out. And they only have so many hours in the day and so many tools at their disposal. Or you could get to the meaty part of the conversation and actually figure out what can be exfiltrated and cut through some of the stuff that's maybe a little bit more obvious and really get, you know, we were just talking about how things are asymmetrical and that you don't, we don't have enough resources, you don't have enough people to solve these things. We really can't waste effort on things that are extraneous, like trying to see how good somebody is at figuring something out that you could have just given them so that they can actually find, dig deeper and, and really dig at those scabs. Yeah. It's like you go to the doctor for something obviously bad. You're like, I don't know, you're peeing blood or something gross like that. You're peeing blood. You go to the doctor. You don't tell the doctor any information. So what do they have to do? They have to be like, all right, do you have a headache? Do your ankles hurt? Does your skin itch? And it's like, how many questions do they have to ask until finally they're like, tell me about your urine, you know? <laughs> well, it sounds like you're fine. I'll see you later. Ha, I didn't get the urine part. Yeah, they didn't ask the urine question. You go home gotcha. peeing blood. And you're like, am I any better? Yeah. <laughs> well, we are down a rabbit hole right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the problem is, is you asked me to illustrate a metaphor. And so I will come up with all sorts of weird stuff. Well, you know me, you know, all <laughs> I want to do is speak in metaphor. <laughs> yeah, def <laughs> definitely. And Tom Brady. Let's not forget Tom Brady. Oh, that was a highlight of this episode. I, I didn't I didn't set that up, by the way. I didn't say it on the pre-call. He just brought it up. So. I, I would be surprised if you had prompted him to bring that up because I saw your eyes roll when he mentioned it. But yeah, I was like, let's any Patriots reference I'm I'm in support of. So yeah, maybe in the future I'll I'll give the guests the hint to drop other rival quarterbacks <laughs> and to see how you react. And then our listenership will plummet. They're like, why do these idiots <laughs> just keep like all right, we get it. Ted likes the Patriots. Cool. All right, Ben. This was great. Yeah, definitely. What should we wrap it up on? What's your final parting wisdom for people based on what we learned from Ethan today. You can't assume everything is safe. You have to take the time to invest in the right people and the right skill sets to make security strong. You have to value security. You can't look at security as some kind of just baseline expense, something that we're going to do the bare minimum on to get by. I and mean, the reality is, is that the people who are really trying to exfiltrate assets, they're doing much more than the bare minimum to get to get access to your stuff. And so if you put the bare minimum effort into stopping them, they're gonna win because they're gonna have more will to find your stuff than you are in protecting it. If you don't care about that stuff, fine, don't do the work. But I mean, I would say most people who are probably listening to this, who probably have something that they care about protecting need to take that kind of philosophy. Love it. Ben, as always, it's been a blast doing this with you, my friend. 
same, Ted. Thanks. For everyone listening, if you want to learn more about the show, just head to tedharrington.com backslash podcast, and we'll catch you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.